right, good morning. Hey, if we've never met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, great to see everybody. Uh, I know Brian's got energy. I've got some energy. It's just one of those things, a couple Sundays off, you're like, all right, it's time to go, time to play some music, time to do some preaching and, and get back to it. So thanks for coming back. Hopefully you all had a great Christmas, a great New Year's. Um, but uh, So one quick thing to mention before we get into the Peter stuff. Um, Joe mentioned small groups. I do want to make a special mention. Uh, one thing that we try to offer every winter is something called Financial Peace University. Some of you have probably heard of that. Maybe it's a new thing to you. Um, great. Basically, it's a great uh, kind of eight or nine week series of curriculum that kind of teaches you how to just uh, express good biblical financial stewardship. Um, how to live on a budget, how to uh, think long-term as well as short-term, how to think biblically about your finances and things like that. Um, and so we're going to be offering that again this winter. And one thing we want to throw out there, and we've done this before, um, if, if you're a parent and you have um, like a teenager or college-age type uh, person in your family, um, if you guys do that together, we want to offer that to your student for free. Okay, And so as you start to hear more about how to sign up for that, it's going to be on Monday evening, starting at the end of January. It goes about eight or nine weeks. It's going to be on Zoom. Um, and so uh, if that's something I would strongly encourage for any of you, especially young families, young couples, but definitely great for teenagers, college students. And so if that's you or if that's someone in your family, we want to cover the cost of it for you. So keep that in mind as you hear uh, a little bit more about our small groups for this coming winter. Um, so uh, kind of at a weird spot this morning because I know that I have some energy. I've been sleeping in the last two weeks, which is fantastic. Our kids go back to school tomorrow, so that's about to end. But with all this energy, I feel like as we kick off this new like 10 or 12-week series, the next 10 or 15 minutes is going to be the most boring aspect of the entire series. Um, just because we have to kind of set the stage a little bit for who this Peter guy is, uh, where he fits within the story, especially of the New Testament and the Gospels and things like that. Um, and so we're going to go a little bit longer today. So I know there's some 6th, 7th, 8th graders out there. And I know that, um, especially in our millennials, they say we have an attention span of like 25 minutes. I know that when there's like a 14-year-old version of that, it's a little bit tougher. So Justin's going a little bit longer today. Uh, I usually don't refer to myself in the third person, so I apologize for that. I am going a little bit longer today. Um, but we got to kind of set the stage and get into it. But we'll, we'll build an energy as we go along. And then um, I think Joe mentioned it. We're going to wrap up with a time of communion today. So if you didn't get a chance to grab um, some of the elements, they are available at the back. Um, so kicking off with like the first six words of 1 Peter today. 1 Peter 1.1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so that gives us a little bit of an indication of who this individual is that we're talking about He's one of the 12. Jesus and his 12 disciples, uh, Peter was one of them, and he received his calling in kind of a strange way. If you go to Matthew chapter 4, we see this first interaction between Jesus and Peter and how he ends up following him. So in Matthew 4.18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and 
and left their father, and they followed him. So there's, there's not a whole lot in this particular account of it in Matthew, but we can gather some of the basics about Peter and what he's up to and, and, and what his situation is. Definitely a blue-collar guy, hardworking, uh, making an honest living, a living as fisherman that wasn't frowned upon like some other uh, uh, career and professional endeavors that we see in the New Testament. We talked about shepherds as a part of our Christmas series and how that's kind of a, kind of a cast-off career, cast-off family situation. Fisherman wasn't like that. Obviously a little bit stinky, right, interacting with fish, and yet a respected profession. So it's blue-collar, hardworking. And so in this situation, to follow Jesus, he's leaving a lot behind. He's leaving family behind. He's leaving his family business behind. Who knows what his family is thinking in the midst of it? Probably some strong emotions by Peter, strong emotions among those in his inner circle to see that he's leaving behind a steady, solid, family tradition type of a job to follow this teacher named Jesus. You almost wonder, why would they even consider it? Why would Peter consider going with Jesus? And, and based on just the Matthew account, you think, man, this is a little bit rushed, right? This, this guy shows up, a short interaction, hey, my name's Jesus, you should come and follow me. Okay, right? That, that seems a little bit odd. But if we go to Luke, in his account, in Luke chapter 5, we get a little bit more information about how this interaction went down. Start of Luke chapter 5. One day... As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's Sea of Galilee, just a different name for it, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the, Peter, the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Peter answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat come to come and help them, and they came and filled their boat so full that they began to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But he and all his companions were astonished at the, at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So we get a little bit more detail about how this all plays out. So before this, Jesus had already been doing some teaching, already performed some miracles in the general area, and, and word was probably starting to trickle out throughout the different communities of this new teacher, this guy who grew up in Nazareth. They're not really sure what he's about. He's got this carpentry background, and yet now he's teaching, and he's teaching with authority, and he's doing things that no one's ever seen before, and word travels fast. This isn't the biggest region in the world, and so you can imagine as people travel from town to town for business or to see family they're hearing about this new teacher, Jesus. And then he shows up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee where Peter and his friends are fishing. Crowds are forming, right? That's, that's the, the crowd itself is going to draw some attention. Like, okay, there's something going on. There's something big happening here. And I'm sure his teaching caught their attention. We can see at the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 7, it says people were amazed at his teaching, partly because of what he was saying, but partly of how he was saying it. He was teaching with a different kind of authority than the teachers of that day would teach with. So they're amazed at his teaching. And then on top of the teaching, they have this supernatural encounter on the lake. These career 
fishermen, these generational fishermen, right? These guys know when the fishing is hot. These guys know when the fishing is cold. They know that it's cold, and they knew that to have this miraculous catch, something supernatural had happened. And so you take the teaching, you throw in the miracle. They knew something was different about Jesus. They knew that there was something special about Jesus. And what does Peter do? He falls on his face He's humbled. He's afraid. We talked about this uh, as part of our Christmas series, too. Like, there are different interactions throughout Scripture when God shows up or when an angel of the Lord shows up representing the glory of the Lord, people end up on their face. They're humbled. They're afraid. They're thinking, this individual, this presence is holy. I am not. I'm in big trouble right now. And the response from God is always the same. Don't be afraid. I've got a message for you. I've got something for you. I've got something I want to call you to. And Jesus does the same with Peter. He says, don't be afraid. And so this was their chance. You wonder, why would they jump at this with such little interaction with Jesus? Well, this was their chance maybe to get out. Right? Maybe they're thinking, all right, my great-grandpa was a fisherman. My grandpa was a fisherman. My dad's a fisherman. I'm about to become a lifelong fisherman. Maybe this was a chance to break that cycle. Because from childhood in their religious culture, the goal is to become a religious leader, right? That's the pinnacle of professions, the, the, the pinnacle of career choices to progress through their education system, memorize the Torah, memorize the entire Old Testament, prove yourself worthy of upper levels of thought in the spiritual world, and then become a rabbi, then become a Pharisee of some type. These guys, at some point, got left behind, right? They couldn't hack it. They weren't Maybe. Not necessarily about being smart enough. Maybe they didn't have the time to study. Maybe they were pushed in a different direction by their family. And so they weren't able to latch on. The dream was to latch on with, to a great teacher and follow in his footsteps, become one of his pupils, and progress to being a great teacher of your own. This was their chance. Now someone who is clearly special has called them. Peter, I want you. And so he leaves it all behind. And Peter says, yes. So then very quickly, we see Peter throughout the Gospels develop a pretty significant role within the group of the 12. He's part of Jesus' top three. And I know that it feels weird to think that Jesus played favorites. And I don't know that he necessarily played favorites, but among the 12, he had three guys that kind of were privy to more personal, intimate interactions and situations throughout Jesus' ministry. Peter, James, and John, those three of those first four that were called, they're there when Jesus experiences the transfiguration. You can go back and read about that on your own. They're there when Jesus has his very emotional prayer in the garden before he's arrested. They're there for very special, intimate moments, definitely deeper levels of teaching and conversation. And Jesus gives Peter the name Rock. He says, you are Peter, and his name means rock. And he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. And there's some, uh, some correlation with where that conversation was happening in the, in the town that they were at. But he's also saying, Peter, I'm, I'm going to build my kingdom on your testimony and on the testimony of people like you. He's going to build so much of his kingdom on, on the faith of someone like Peter and his boldness and his leadership and even his personality. And we see in someone like Peter, he's outspoken, but he's rash. He's bold but he's often reckless. He is fully convinced of who Jesus is, but far from mature, especially early on in his time with Jesus. And as we see throughout the book of Acts, even as Peter kind of becomes the de facto leader of the church as Jesus ascends into heaven, his personality and his, his leadership and, and, and just his 
quirks about him. They created moments of public victories, but they also created moments of public failures where he even has to be called out by Paul at one point for being a hypocrite and for being inconsistent in his walk. And so Peter takes a significant role. And I, I would compare Peter, if you're looking for a personality, I don't know if there's enough information to say, hey, he's, a, he's an eight on the Enneagram. He's, a, he's an extrovert in the Myers-Briggs. Right? I don't know if there's enough to say that. But I would compare Peter to a German shepherd. I don't know if you guys have ever had German shepherds. I grew up with German shepherds. That's my parents' current dog. When I was younger, they were always mutts, right? You're poor, you're not going to pay for a purebred, but they've progressed uh, to the best of the best, which means they're always itchy and stupid and, and, and things like that. Um, so that's their current dog as a puppy. And you can see a German shepherd puppy where like, they got these big features, right? The paws are huge, giant ears, giant snout, and you're like, this thing's a little bit goofy looking, but you can see the potential in this thing, right? This thing is going to be a force physically. Compare that to Joe's dog. Joe's dog is a pug. They love their pug. It's a great, it's a great little dog, cute dog, great dog. Love little Walt, Walt right? Um, uh, Walter's his name. But when a pug is a puppy, you know this thing is destined for cuteness for the next 15 years, right? That its job is to be cute and fun and just snuggle up with, right? A German shepherd this thing is going to be legit. This thing is going to be a dominant physical force on the planet. And then they grow up. You can see in the next picture, this full-grown boss there with my mom and our daughter, Hallie. And he just takes over, right? And the amazing thing, he fulfills his potential, strong, loyal, but might accidentally bulldoze someone that he loves in the midst of his enthusiasm. That's a German shepherd. That's Peter, right? When I was growing up, our German shepherd, when I was in high school, uh, my parents went away, and my grandma came and stayed with us, and she was walking across the yard, and he chased her, knocked her over, face right into a pile of dog poop. It was crazy. Um, amazing story. She's with Jesus now, so it's all good, uh, but that, that moment was not her. She came inside, and it was all over her glasses and stuff, but that's a German shepherd. He fell in love with her. Great dog, but big, strong, forceful dog, and so you get that, the greatness with some of the weaknesses, that's Peter, right? Right from the beginning, he is raw, but he has clear potential. This guy was going to be a force. But even in the midst of his strengths, he always had the potential to accidentally bite someone that he loved in the midst of his enthusiasm. That's Peter. But for all of his quirks, for all of his ups and downs, you got to know that Peter was all in. If it's not proven by what we see in his life, it's proven by what we know about his death. Peter himself was crucified many years after Jesus. And there's different details that get thrown in. Maybe it was alongside of his wife. Maybe he requested to be crucified upside down. Some of that gets into the, the mythological side of church history where things kind of get, it might be true, it might not. But either way, it, it holds with what Jesus said about him in John 21. He said, Peter, at some point, someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go and they're going to stretch out your arms. And he said it to indicate how Peter was going to die. And so Peter got it. Peter believed it, Peter lived it, and Peter died for it. And so we're talking about a big-time spiritual force, not just in the New Testament days, but even extending into our time. And so as we get into the first major section of, of his letter, 1 Peter, um, he really kind of expresses his excitement, an excitement that we should share, but his excitement for what it was he was living for and what it was that he would soon die for. And so let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and get into what it is that Peter wants us to remember and have an energy for this morning. 
We're going to hit verses 1 and 2 to start. It says, to God's elect. And we're going to talk, that word elect, we're going to, there's another passage uh, later on in this series. We're going to, what does it mean when he says the elect, right? We'll, we'll get into that. Um, but he's talking to the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So Jesus, it, what's happening is what Jesus knew would happen, right? As Paul and others address in their letters, the gospel is being spread around the known world, partly by natural human travel and expansion, right? People seeking a better life, partly by persecution, people who are running for their lives. But either way, the gospel, they are taking the gospel with them as they head west towards Greece, Rome, those types of places, as they head east towards Asia and different places like that. And as they get there, like so many letters throughout the New Testament, Peter is answering some of their frustrations where they're saying, what? Peter, we're facing some pushback here. We're, we're entering these new towns and these new communities. They don't know about Jesus. They don't know about this one God religion that we are committed to. And so we're getting pushback. There's some persecution. This is difficult to assimilate. And so they're saying, why are we experiencing this? Why is there persecution? Why are there competing teachings and ideologies? What do we do with all this? What does all of this mean? And Peter will get super practical as we go, but he starts with a reminder today of what it is that we cling to in the midst of a place that isn't all in with what we believe, that isn't all in in our pursuit of Jesus. So we'll continue on. We're going to do three to five. We're going to skip a few verses that we're going to come back to. So three to five, and then we're going to jump to ten. So Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Jump down to verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to figure out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, to these prophets of the Old Testament, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel. Even the angels long to look into these things. So there's some pretty amazing things here where Peter is saying, how amazing is this, right? This, this gift that we've been given, it's a gift to be chosen. It's a gift to have the truth revealed to you. It's a gift to have your eyes open to what God is doing. It's a gift to have your heart softened to the gospel because that's the only way that it happens. It's a gift to receive a forever thing in exchange for temporary earthly things. He talks about the Old Testament prophets, those who came long before Christ, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, who we talked about a couple Christmases ago, right? These, these prophets who, who not only predicted and, and talked about things that were happening in the time of Israel, but God was revealing some things to them about what was to happen, the, the final solution to the problem of sin and the problem of, of, of the flesh of humanity, right? They, they get these little inklings, and it says these Old Testament prophets, they got glimpses of what was to come. They got clues of what would be a part of the new covenant that would come along with Jesus, but some of them didn't fully understand what God was asking them to write. 
but they passed it on. And they realized that some of these words, it was not for them. It was not for their time. It was not for their people. It was for us. It was for those of us who would live in the time of and after the time of Jesus, who would get to experience the fulfillment of all these prophecies, the fulfillment of the Messiah who would to come. And then he says, even the angels have FOMO about experiencing Christ. Some of you are too old. You don't know what FOMO means. Fear of missing out, right? Maybe your grandkids have texted you FOMO. That's what it means, okay? So even the angels are looking at what we get to experience. And, and this is wild because think about, what the, think about what Gabriel and Michael and the angels have experienced from the time of their creation, the things that God has asked them to be a part of and empowered them to do throughout the centuries and millennia. And they look at us and go, man, I'd love to experience what they experience. Man, I'd love to experience that kind of relationship with Jesus, that forgiveness and freedom and all that comes with it. Right? The angels look at our experience and knowledge of Christ and go, wow, look at that. And so Peter says, this thing that I've lived for, this thing that I'm willing to die for, this thing that I've passed on to you, it's incomprehensibly amazing this gift of salvation, this freedom for our souls. And yet in the midst of that salvation, in the midst of the joy that he talks about, in the living hope that he talks about, the, the glory and the honor that Jesus Christ has been revealed, in the midst of all that, he recognizes, okay, it is a struggle sometimes. It is a struggle for some of the people that he's writing directly to. It's is a struggle for many people in our day today around the world. And let me tell you, it's not going to get any easier, right? The next 50 years, it's not going to become easier to believe in Jesus. It's not going to become easier to follow in his footsteps. And so he's writing to us saying, this is amazing. This is a gift. This is something even the angels are jealous of. And yet, even in the midst of that joy, it can be difficult. And so we go back to verse 6. And Peter addresses that a little bit. And this has shadows of James chapter 1 and considering it pure joy. 1 Peter 1.6, he says, In all this, in, when it comes to the salvation stuff, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, these difficult times, this pushback, the, the lack of acceptance from the community around you and the other people in your life. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, faith of greater worth than gold, gold perishes when refined by fire, that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious Joy. So he's saying, it's amazing, it's incomprehensible, but for a little while it's tough, but there's a reason why it's tough. It's to make your faith proven over time, to make it more genuine. And then he finishes with verse 9. He says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. And there's a lot of things that he could finish with here, a lot of things that we preach about and talk about in church world that we could put at the end of this. Like the end result of your faith, a healthy, growing family. The end result of your faith... A, 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 a ridding of the addiction that you've been stuck in. The end result of your faith, you don't have, you're not stuck lying anymore. The end result of your faith, a thriving business experience. A, the end result of your faith, a great marriage. Those are all important things, but Peter finishes a different way and brings us back 
to the crux of the matter, the thing that conjures up joy, the thing that we celebrate. You're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this is an area where I really resonate with Peter. And, and you know, when it comes to um, preaching and teaching in church world, um, there's, it, there's a lot of both ands, right? You talk about prayer. God's will will be done, but he wants us to pray and ask him for things, right? There, there's, there's a give and take there. There's a both and. And this is one of those. When you talk about what's important, the here and now or forever, the eternity thing, it's a little bit of a both and. But I really resonate with Peter and where he goes here um, because there will always be seasons where the here and now is emphasized, and that's important. And I've got this, uh, this rope thing. I didn't invent this illustration. Um, I stole it from someone else. I'm not sure he invented it. Uh, in the world of preaching, there's really nothing new under the sun. But this rope represents eternity, stretching off from now to forever. And this one little part at the beginning, this black part here at the beginning, that's you. That's your life. Okay? And so your eternity began, yes, in the thought of, you know, God knew you before you're fine. You know, we know all that's true. Don't check me on that, right? I recognize that. This is the start of you physically, right? Your existence here on this planet. This is what you and I get to exist. Maybe it's 30, 40 years, maybe it's 80, 90 years, whatever it is, this is your existence. And then, but even though your physical body doesn't last forever, you do. You continue on from here to forever. And you can pretend this rope goes all the way around the world and through the universe and never ends. It actually ends on the other side of that stage. But for our imagination today, this goes on forever. And so in church world, when it comes to preaching or, or small groups or, or writing books, you can go both ways, right? You have the here and now. And we preach about marriage. We want you to have a healthy marriage. We want the gospel to infiltrate and have an impact on you and your family and your marriage and your finances and your neighborhoods and your schools and the way you do business. But that's all right in here. Super important. The gospel should transform your life. It's part of our mission. We want to see family trees transformed by the gospel. And some of that means this part right here, your physical existence on this planet. And yet it is so temporary. Ultimately, this life is a mist. This life is short. This life is a speck in the timeline of eternity. And so Peter is bringing us back to this as he hears some frustrations. I'm sure he's getting letters and reports from people who have been spread throughout the known world saying, Peter, we love Jesus. We're in on this, but we go into this communion. They don't like this. They're not down with this. We've got some people who are maybe interested in what we're talking about, but we're getting a lot of pushback. We're getting persecution. We're hearing about family members being fed to lions in Rome, right? Why is this happening? And Peter's going, hey, I want you to experience peace. I want you to experience a healthy family. I want you to experience good stewardship with your finances. I want you to have a good life. But this is all temporary. This is a mist. He's saying, what does eternity look like? What does forever look like? He's saying, what is the status of your soul? And then out of that transformation... The soul transformation, the eternity transformation, out of that transformation, out of that reality, out of that experience, comes the potential for transformation in this life. Man, my 30s were huge. I really got to know Jesus and everything changed from there, right? And yet, those physical things, those tangible things, even those are temporary, even those are a myth. And so Peter's saying, the thing that we celebrate, the thing that we're excited about, 
is the salvation of our souls because that changed eternity. And so as we continue through 1 Peter and into 2 Peter, it's that perspective, that perspective of eternity that should be with us at all times because he's going to talk about practical things. He does a great job. He's going to talk about the struggle to live and embrace a holy life. How do we live as Jesus lived? How do we live as God would live if he was here living our life for us? How do we live in a fallen world? Right? How, how do we balance this call to be set apart in Christ and yet at the same time being respectful and honoring of the authorities placed over us? How do we face potential suffering? How do we face potential persecution that is either here or coming? How do we deal with false teachers and some of the frustration and confusion that comes with that? And so Peter's saying, yeah, it is hard. It is a challenge. It would be better if everyone agreed with us and if everyone saw things our way. That'd be fantastic. But even in the midst of that, whatever is happening, it's temporary. And it is for a purpose. Because even though these things are short, even though this life is a mist, it has an impact on what we experience in eternity. And so even though it is temporary and it is for a purpose, there is a promise that's amazing and it's a celebration that our souls are secure and heaven is our rest and reward. And so what Peter gives us is a call to joy. Joy at our chance to grow and mature in this pursuit of Jesus. Joy in our opportunity to live the faith. Joy that we've been chosen, that we've been set apart for his kingdom. It's the salvation of your souls, the forgiveness of sins set apart for eternity. We're going to transition now to a time of communion and really wanted to do it on this week just as just to kind of continue that reminder and that chance to reflect on how big of a deal it really is that your soul has been saved, that your sins are forgiven. Brian's going to come and just kind of give us some, some background music for a few minutes. But just a, a couple questions as we get into communion. And I want to invite you, it, I know even if you're not a, a regular attender or a member of Fieldstone, if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd encourage you to jump in and be a part of it with us. Um, those of you with kids, it's kind of up to you how you handle them and, and where they're at in their walk. I definitely encourage you, um, if you are uh, just in a, in a place of wandering from your faith, I'd encourage you to maybe hold off um, and, and get some things straight with the Lord but before entering into a time of communion. But uh, a couple questions I want to throw at you as we get into this. Number one, have you said yes to this offer of salvation? In John chapter 6, there's another really cool interaction that Jesus and Peter have where Jesus has been doing some teaching on, on how hard it's going to be sometimes. And as Jesus is describing what it really looks like to follow him, people said, this, this is hard teaching, and they bailed. Not of the 12, but of the dozens or hundreds who would gather, or even thousands that would gather to hear him teach. They're listening to Jesus talk about the reality of persecution and how hard it's going to be to really walk in his footsteps. And they're like, eh, that's not for me. And he turns to the 12 and says, are you guys going to bail too? And Peter all his potential and his brashness and his boldness comes up with Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life 
you have words that will not just transform our careers, not just transform our families. You have words that will transform eternity for us. And so if you find yourself in a place where you've been looking for a better life, you've been looking for a better way, you've been looking for a better outcome, it's time to stop looking. Jesus has the words of eternal life. And he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Have you said yes to his offer of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the freeing of your soul, securing you as his for eternity? Peter said yes on that lake shore. Have you said yes? For those of you who have, and I know many of you are in that place, I would say this. Do you still have the perspective of joy and gratitude for what it is you've been given? not talking about the job you've been given or the house you've been given or the amazing family that you've been, been given. I'm talking about the salvation of your soul. I'm talking about what you've been given compared to what it is you really deserve. I'm talking about however this life turns out, however this part turns out, your eternity is secure. love to give you just a few minutes to sit and reflect on that, to remember what it is that he's done for you, what it is that he's offered you. And Brian's going to play for a few minutes here, and then we'll come back and take the elements together. Just take this time to pray. Ponder what it is that you've experienced. Maybe you've gotten bogged down by the mist part. Maybe you've gotten bogged down by personal experiences. They're important. They're meaningful, right? This life matters, it impacts us, it, it, the relationships and the ebbs and flows, and yet, it's short. Have you taken a chance lately to reflect on the rest of the story that God has secured for you? Take a few minutes, I'll be back up. <laughs>